0: Well, this morning we have a special treat that we'll, uh, that we get to hear next. We would like to invite Pastor Dennis Newkirk to the platform this morning. Pastor Dennis has, uh, he's a familiar face here at Bethany. He has, he has come in and, and taught us and been an encouragement to us. But his primary focus is pastoral ministry. And, and he and his, uh, bride Marcia are here this morning. Got a chance to be with them. You've pastored churches. I think perhaps all over the world, Dennis. I don't know. You've done it a lot. You've done it a lot. Let's give a warm welcome to Dennis Newkirk. Thank you. That was kind of you. Thank you. Um, Bethany Bible is an important uh, part and has been an important part of our lives for many years. My uh, wife grew up here in this church, and... Uh, and um, the formation of her spiritual growth uh, was certainly laid here now she is uh, she's the most amazing pastor 's wife and bible teacher and giver and uh, she's, she's well well done i 'm glad you you all invested in uh, our lives in the way that you did. Uh, Thank you for uh, being here this morning. Would you open your Bible to the book of Isaiah? The book of Isaiah, and why don't we start in chapter number one for just a moment. There are a number of different ways to study your Bible. We can read through uh, a, a chapter or read through a book and study it in that way. That's a Good way to study Scripture, consecutive exposition. But there are other ways. You can study uh, topical, and you can also study individual character studies. And those have always been a special part of my Bible study routine to study the characters of Scripture. I'd like to bring one of those to you today. And that is the prophet Isaiah. Being a prophet was a thankless task. It was tough, tough work. Now, Isaiah, while he was a prophet and experienced great challenges, he was unlike any of the other prophets. Uh, For example, Isaiah was born into an influential and affluent family. The Talmud suggests that he was a cousin to the king Uzziah. And so he grew up in that level of society and was well respected. His father's name is Amos, A-M-O-Z, and that's all we know about him. Uh, We know that he married a prophetess and that uh, she and and Isaiah had two children together, two boys. Uh, How did his ministry begin? How did it all get started? Well, let me read to you uh, Isaiah 1, verse number 1. It says this, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah, that's the southern kingdom, and Jerusalem, the capital city, in the days of four kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of the southern kingdom. Uh, Isaiah was the most well-educated of all the prophets, most articulate of all the prophets. In fact, many people think he was the greatest of all the prophets. Uh, some people work in obscure places. Uh, we were driving last year uh, going camping as a matter of fact in, in southern uh, uh, Arizona and we drove through Ajo. Have you been to Ajo lately? It, it's not exactly what you might call uh, a tourist uh, a- attraction uh, and, but as we were going through town, I saw on the side of the road a church saying, First Baptist Church of Aho. And I thought how different that man's life has been than than my own. And how he has slugged it out and how he has served the Lord in this, this backwater town. Well, uh, Isaiah... Didn't do that. He wasn't like that. In fact, most of the other other prophets were. But Isaiah was a man who uh, preached in the glare of the spotlight. There in Jerusalem, he was holding forth the word of God. Now, how did his ministry begin? And why would that be important to us? Now, I'd like for you to look over in Isaiah 6 where we'll spend the rest of our time this morning, Isaiah 6. How did his ministry get started? Why is it important to us? And how can it change and, and, and affect our relationship with the Lord? Well, let's see. Isaiah 6, one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. You know, there are verses of scripture that are just so filled with information that it's hard to even begin to make your way through it. And this is one. By the way, where were you on April the 19th, 1995? April 19th, 1995. I imagine that you know where you were on September the 11th, 2001. And if you're from Oklahoma City, Marcia and I pastored church there for 25 years. If you're from Oklahoma City, you know April 19th, 1995. I was in a church uh, meeting. We were having a staff meeting about 12 miles away from downtown. And at 9 o'clock, there was a tremendous expo- explosion that rocked the very building that we were in, shook it. I thought that there may have been a gas leak that had exploded, or maybe a plane had had. Uh, fallen to the ground well, it crashed I, I, we didn't know but it was something big someone turned on the television and found out what had happened the Murrah bombing had uh, occurred downtown Oklahoma City the federal building had been destroyed as it turned out the 168 people died that moment and over 800 were injured now, people who lived in Oklahoma City at that time will never forget that moment and what happened after it. It shook us to our core. It, if it could happen in Oklahoma City, the heart of Oklahoma, the heart of, uh, of the United States, it could happen anywhere. And so uh, it, was, it was a very stressful thing. It happened on a Wednesday and uh, we held services that night. The church building was packed. There were hundreds. There was probably 1,500, 1,800 people there in the building that night. We were shaken, we were afraid, and we were coming together to worship and search for the Lord together. Well, think about Isaiah, and think about what we've been told already. Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, he remembers that year. It was one of the most difficult years, no doubt, of his life. His life, the course of his life changed that year. Uh, So what happened then? Well, Uzziah was the king of Judah, and as you know, he was a good king for most of his life. He reigned for 52 years. Imagine having one president for 52 years. 52 years ago, Richard Nixon was the president of the United States. Uh, And we've had 10 presidents since then. Well, imagine having only one. And imagine that the country lived in prosperity and in peace. Well, that's what had happened in Uzziah's time. At the end of his life, things fell apart for Uzziah. He went into the, the temple. He did what only the priests were supposed to do in his arrogance, in his defiance against God. And God reacted by giving him leprosy And he spent the rest of his life in obscurity. But he led well for all of those years. People depended on him people uh, their their idea of who they were was affected by Uzziah and the peace that he had been able to maintain and the prosperity that he was able to to gather for them but so as his life came to an end, the nation had hung their hopes, their prayers on. Uzziah, now he's gone, and they are terrified. Isaiah is terrified. None of them had ever had another king. They were were beyond frightened. That's obvious. I call this the blessing of insecurity. The blessing of insecurity. We live with an illusion of control. It's just an illusion. We are not in control of our lives. But we like to think we are. And so we live in this illusion. And when something happens that brings insecurity, it may be a medical diagnosis. It may be a national Uh, event of some sort. It could be a family issue. It could be many different things. But when a crisis comes into our lives, our lives are shaken, and that can become the blessing of insecurity for us. I'll show you what I mean. Let's go back to Isaiah and read verse 1 again, then through verse 4. It says this, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. You see, Isaiah is searching for the Lord. His heart has turned toward the Lord by these earth-shaking experiences. Verse number two. Above him stood two seraphim. Seraphim is a plural word for seraph. It seems that and and that 's the best I can say. it seems that there are three types of angels: angels, cherubim, and seraphim. These are the seraphim, and uh, they were mighty beings. In fact, the word seraphim means fiery serpent they were they were huge, they were. Uh, powerful, they were foreboding, Uh, and there were two of them, at least two of them, were there before the Lord. And it says, above him stood seraphim, each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, covered his feet. With two, they flew. And one cried out, called out to the other, and said, as they looked at God, they said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. And the foundations of the threshold of the temple shook at the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke, probably the Shekinah glory of God appearing. So, uh, Isaiah has now had a glimpse of God. And that glimpse changed everything for him. What did he see? Well, let's go back and look at this carefully. First of all, it says, I saw the Lord. You see that word, Lord. What, uh, in the Hebrew, uh, there are two words that we translate into English as Lord. One is always written with with all capital letters. Capital L-O-R-D. That refers to, well, some call that Jehovah, Yahweh, the covenantial name of God. Uh, And then we have this word. This word is capital L and then small case ORD. This is the word Adonai and it means uh, stunning, marvelous, overwhelming, the majestic ruler. Now I'm going to ask you to paint a picture of God by this description. Accept this as who he is. He is Adonai. He is the majestic ruler and he said that he saw the Lord sitting on the throne this shows the sovereignty of God by by sovereignty we mean he's unlimited he's in charge he's above all things he is absolute there's none above him and certainly everything that he wants done will be done And next in the description is that he's high and lifted up. And that refers to the preeminence of God. The supremacy of God. There's none before him. There is none above him. There is none who have any kind of control over him. In all things, he is preeminent. And? Isaiah says, the train of his robe, of his regal robe, filled the temple. This probably refers to his omnipresence. God being everywhere. God is everywhere. But that's not nearly as significant to me as God is here right now. Right now, he's here. He is with us. He is with us as much as he was with Isaiah. We just cannot see him with our eyes. He is in everything. uh, uh, The greatest, the most magnificent, the most wonderful, the most powerful, the greatest of all beings that there ever has been or ever would be. Now, let's look at the seraphim. Two At least two seraphim are with the Lord. And uh, as I mentioned, this word seraph refers to a fiery serpent. They're beside God. Uh, the best description I know of them is just that they are among the heavenly beings created by God. And they're fierce. They're breathtaking. And Isaiah says they had six wings. And with two, they covered their face. That's showing humility before God. Even these tremendous beings bow in humility before God. And they covered their feet. And that shows their worship of the Lord. Just like Moses in uh, on Mount Sinai took off his shoes. Uh, Why did he do that? He does it out of respect. He does it to worship the Lord. And with two, they flew. Now, get the picture of it. Uh, There are these, these angelic beings. They are not Tinkerbell flying around. No, they are these huge, powerful beings. Woof, woof, woof. With the wings as they cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. Now, notice, they said three times. Holy, holy, holy. In the Hebrew, when they wanted to express a superlative, they always used a three, three statements together. In this case, holy, holy, holy. The most holy. The preeminent holy. The the one that is separate. The one that is absolute purity. Searing purity. Sinless. That's who he is. There is none like him. There is none before him. And even the angels bow before him and worship. I sometimes think that our lax and often lifeless worship proves that we do not understand who we worship. If we call to mind who it is that we worshipped, when we come together, and when we sing songs, we wouldn't care about what that song sounded like We wouldn't care about the beat or the rhythm. We'd care about the words. And we would care that God is being glorified. We would worship him fervently with all of our hearts. Now, now what happens? Well, Isaiah's vision of God uh, compels him to do something. And that is He was compelled to repent. And that is what happens, I think. When when we get a vision of who God is, when we remember what we're dealing with, we'll tend to look at ourselves and how we compare. And look at what Isaiah did. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. Those of you who might use the King James Version, the word lost is, is undone. I like that translation. He's falling apart. He says, I've been before the Lord, and I am totally falling apart. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord, this time it's capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, the, the Lord of hosts. By the way, host refers to an army, the armies of heaven. And so what we see here is as he's understanding better who God is, he's compelled, compelled to repent of his sins. What is repentance? Well, repentance literally means to change your mind, to change your direction. Let's say that you're downtown uh, Phoenix, and you turn left, and then realize you're headed down a one-way street that's headed up. What do you do? Well, you don't just keep driving. You stop, and you turn around. And you go the other way. That's repentance. Repentance is the recognition that we have sinned and we have not glorified God by the way we've lived, by the things that we've said, by what we've thought or what we have failed to do. It is that we have been disobedient. Our hearts have wandered away. We have taking part in our own kind of idolatry, and repentance is coming to that point in your own life where you say, enough is enough, I stop and return to the Lord. Repentance is realizing that you cannot be in charge of your life, that God must be In control of your life. And if we could go on, it says in verse 6 Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. Now, in Scripture, one of the ways that fire is re- is referred to is that of purification. Uh, in the New Testament, we see the word "katharizo." We get the word "catharize" from it. It means to it, it, it means to make pure and clean, and that's what we see here. Uh, and he touched my mouth and said, "Behold, this has touched your lips." Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now, why did Isaiah confess his words? He had done plenty of other things wrong. Why his words? It's because he knew that what was inside of him came out through the words that he said. That's true for you as well. The conversations that you have, the topics that you engage in, the, should I say it, gossip that may take place, the way that you use words reveals what's inside of you. The critical nature, the the arrogance, all of that is revealed by the words we say, and that's what Isaiah knows, so he's repented of that, and here, as he did, the the Lord brought forgiveness to his life, just like He will for you and me. And it says, "Behold, this has touched your lips; your guilt is taken away, and your sins atoned for. Your touched your lips; you have been forgiven completely, absolutely." totally forgiven and uh, your your sins are atoned for they're paid for they're taken away christ came to our world to die on the cross to atone for our sin to pay the price for that when we receive christ as our lord and savior we are forgiven but First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Apparently, in heaven, we are completely forgiven. But here on earth, we need to keep a short account with God. And repentance is still necessary in our lives. And this changed Isaiah's life. If you look at verse number 8, it says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? There's been a lot of discussion about the word us. It's plural. God is saying, who's going to go for us? Theologians believe that what is being referred to here is the Trinity. God, the Father, Son, Spirit, absolute unity. But here referred to as us. Who's going to go for us? And what does Isaiah say in his repentance, in his forgiveness? What does he say? Hear my. Send me. You see, that's the attitude of a Christian who's come to realize with whom he is forgiving. Lord, I'll do anything you want. I'll give anything you want. I will change whatever you want. My desire is to please you and you alone. If we're going to apply this passage of Scripture, how might we do it? Well, for example, you, uh, you may be living in a difficult time in your life, a fearful time in your life. Please remember, it's not so much what happens to you that is affecting you, but how you perceive it. Is it possible for you to look at this time in your life, this painful time in your life, and say, it hurts, I hate it, but Lord, draw me near to you through it. You see, let it bring you to the Lord in deeper commitment. Don't be angry at the Lord for letting it happen to you. This is a gift that God gives. The gift of insecurity to draw us near to Him. In James chapter 4 verse 8 it says draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Friend, draw near to God. Pray, read the word. Serve. Draw near to God. Take time with Him. Worship Him. And secondly, consider who God is and the call to repent. When was the last time you cleaned out the closet? When was the last time That you came before the Lord and said, I'm here to do business. I yield myself to you. Reveal to me what needs to be confessed to you. Do that. And then finally, consider who God is. The picture that we have. High and lifted up. The train of His robe is filling the temple. He is everywhere. He is above all. He is in all and through all. Remember who He is. The supreme being who has revealed Himself to you. And worship Him. Worship Him. I encourage you right now to stand with me. Let's pray Together, and as we pray, I want to encourage you to worship. Would you stand with me, please? As we worship you, Lord we come to recognize who you are who we are and lord we come to call you holy 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 is the lord god almighty the whole earth is filled with your glory Now, as we continue to pray, I want you to imagine that the Lord Himself walks into this room and manifests His presence to us. Remember, He's omnipresent, He's here. But imagine that he comes and manifests his presence before us. How would you worship him? What would you do? He's here. I encourage you to worship him.